Testing, testifying to the resurrection is central to our faith, and this season reminds us of the import of that. And so I want to back up this evening and recount what's happened in the last few days, at least as we've remembered that, um, as we've worshipped together, as we've prayed, as we've been reminded of the importance of Easter. And the scripture reading this evening is taken from one of the weekly Easter texts. So it it actually is Monday's reading, but it continues right after uh, the reading from this past Sunday morning. It carries forward the story. And to remind you, the the women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, had come to the tomb. We just sang about it. And they had already been present, fully present to what was going on. They were witnesses to the crucifixion. And they have come to the graveside now just to visit the tomb. And when they get there, we're told that there was an earthquake and the stone rolled away and they're told not to fear and they come forward and see what has happened and then they're, they're sent out uh, to begin to tell the good news, which is what we continue to do today. But there were also some other characters there that morning, the guards. And Matthew's Gospel is the only one that mentions that there were guards at the tomb. And the reason Matthew tells us is that just a few days before, these soldiers had gone to the scribes and the elders and said, you know what's going to happen is that the, uh, the, the followers of Jesus are going to kidnap his body and take it away and they're going to tell us that he was resurrected because Jesus himself said that on the third day I will rise. And they called Jesus a deceiver. But you'll hear in this text that they become the deceivers themselves, that the story is flipped as we move forward in our telling of it. So on the first day, there is an earthquake and the stone is rolled away and the women are there, the guards are there, and something miraculous has taken place. A couple of years ago, I was at Virginia Union. I was attending a lecture uh, that was being put on by Alan Bosick, who is a Reformed theologian from South Africa. He's a contemporary of Desmond Tutu's and huge in the anti-apartheid movement and really a very respected speaker and teacher. And he said something almost in passing. I mean, he lectured for like four hours straight and I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. But this is the one thing I remember. And it's something that I was like, of course, everybody knows that but me probably. But he said... The stone was rolled away, not so Jesus could get out, but so that we could get in. And it's right here in the text. We read it on Sunday. So if you don't remember anything else, remember Alan Bosak. And the stone was rolled away, not so Jesus could get out. That wasn't necessary. It was so that we could get in. So, the two Marys went to the tomb and they are told he's not here. This angel appears. The stone is rolled away. He is risen. Come and see for yourself, they said, the angel said. Now the guards were told, and this is where they come back into the story, were completely shaken by this whole experience. And the Gospel tells us that they became like dead men. They became like dead men. Isn't that interesting? These men 
who were sent to guard somebody who was dead look inside and see that he's alive and they become dead. So God's up to something, right? God is always up to something, turning everything on its head. So the two Marys are told to go and tell the disciples what they've seen and what's happened right here. That he's risen from the dead and that they are to meet him in Galilee. And they're on their way. They're afraid and filled with joy, both at the same time. Afraid and filled with joy, the Gospel says, running to tell the disciples what they've seen and heard. And that's where we pick the story up today. So this is Matthew 28, 9 through 15. Suddenly, Jesus met Mary Magdalene and the other Mary on their way and said, Greetings. And they came to him and they took hold of his feet. Imagine that. And they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. There's that line again. Do not be afraid, but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now while they were going, some of the guard went into the city and they told the chief priests everything that had happened. And the priests had assembled with the elder, after the priests had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to get a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, you must say that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Remember, that's the very thing that they said was going to happen. And now they're told to use that same story themselves. If this comes to the governor's ears, they said, we will satisfy them. We'll, we've got your back. If the word gets out, we'll say, yes, true, they came and stole the body so that they would keep out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Now, it occurred to me as I was reading this that this is an early example of fake news. Right? If you don't like the story, you just make a new one or you turn it on its head or you just tell a lie so that's what's going on here their plan in response to the good news of the resurrection was to create their own false narrative and to assign blame the very tactics that they had feared the disciples would employ were used by these people in authority to cover their backs so they prepared to tell all that the disciples came to tell everyone that the disciples came the night and they stole the body, knowing full well that it wasn't true. They had seen it themselves. Imagine that. So, God is up to something here too. While this story is being told, God out-empires the empire. God out-empires the empire. That is the resurrection story. God, in an act of transformation, turns death into life. Everything that was thought impossible becomes possible with God. God's tactics, tactics are even inexplicable, unexplainable. God chooses the weak to shame the strong, and what is low and despised to reduce to nothing the things that are. And we see it right here. Jesus, this one that they thought they could eliminate, rises to rule everything. In another surprising turn, the gospel imitates the very imperial pattern that it is resisting. This is one of Matthew's tools. 
He tells almost the same story, but it is an exactly new story about what God is doing. Jesus is the one worshipped. Usually it was the political leaders or the emperors who were worshipped in that time. Jesus reigns even over Rome and its powers. And Jesus is given all authority in heaven and on earth. And that's made crystal clear in the very next passage in Matthew's Gospel. The very next thing that follows the story of resurrection is the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into the world. Jesus meets the disciples on the mountaintop, just as He had said to the two Marys. Have them meet Me in Galilee. The story is they all met on the mountaintop and Jesus gave them this command. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That commission is also ours. It's been handed down from generation to generation to generation. We are the ones today who must tell the truth. We are the ones who must help the world see that Christ is risen indeed. Like Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, we must look for signs of resurrection truth all around us and tell people when we see it. Tell people the truth that Christ is alive, that God is here in our midst even now. This past Thursday, a few of us from Richmond Hill attended the musical Once on the Island, which was put on by Armstrong High School. Now, they partnered with Richmond Community High School to put this major production together. The, the kids sang, they made the set, they created the costumes, uh, they ran the lighting and designed the costumes. And it was really a remarkable presentation. Deborah and I were there. We had 50, row seat, 50 yard line seats. It was amazing, but the place filled up because the word got out, you're not going to believe what Armstrong High School has done. Once on this island is a Caribbean adaptation of the popular fairy tale, The Little Mermaid, featuring a peasant girl, Timon, who was played by Armstrong Leadership's own Jasmine Richardson. Marvin told me she's been in Armstrong, the Armstrong Leadership Program for four years. And uh, Daniel Boxom, who, or Boom, rather, who was another character played in, by Community High School's Blaze Wingold. The story is set in post-revolutionary Haiti and depicts the tensions between formerly enslaved Africans who were brought to the island and the French colonizers who had a hand in that. Timon is black and Danielle is white, and they fall in love, of course. And their love is thwarted. And not to spoil the whole story, in the end, love conquers death. How did they time that with Easter? I think somebody knew what they were doing. The musical itself is an example of resurrection hope, but the real life story that it happened at Armstrong High School and that these kids came together, one from a predominantly black high school and the other from a predominantly white high school, to put it on is the real miracle. I was told that it's been 30 years, 30 years since Armstrong High School could afford or had the resources to put on a theatrical production of that caliber. 
Their collective effort was and is a shining example of what's popular, or possible rather, when our public schools are enabled to function well, to work together, and, that, and when our youth are given a chance to share their gifts, maybe even discover their gifts Amen. for the first time. Now, I just ran back from a meeting that was held up, um, where was it held? Up on Capitol Hill, and it was a meeting that the mayor called with some faith leaders, and uh, Superintendent Cameras was there. He also was in attendance, by the way, last Thursday night at this play. And they are, if you don't know, trying to put forth a new budget that would fully fund our schools, or at least get us in a place where Richmond schools have not been, I was told today at the meeting, in 50 years. It's been 50 years since uh, things have been happening to sort of undermine the possibilities. And there were about 30 of us in the room. And uh, tomorrow morning, well, last night, the city council met to hear from various constituents about this proposal. Uh, mostly the people in attendance were supportive of our public schools and of a tax increase, uh, a real estate tax increase. And there's some opposition. They told us who's in favor on the council and who's not for it and who's sort of in the middle. And tomorrow there's a working session and council goes into a, a day-long meeting to hash it out. And um, the mayor asked us, well, what can you do about this? <laughs> After he had, was asked, you know, what would you like us to do? And um, somebody said, well, we can pray. We can start there and trust that God will do something, that God will turn this around. And of course, others said, well, we need to call our city council men and women and tell them this is important. And uh, I had to leave early because I had to come here. And I got up and said, well, I'm going to go preach about it right now. And I'll tell some people. Maybe they can exercise some influence in their prayer life. Or maybe they can get on the phone. Or they can email. Or you can go on Facebook and just tell people that you think this is important. That this legislation is seriously considered. And there are various ways it could work out. But it was pointed out to me and to others in the room, this is the first time that some of them can ever remember when both the mayor of Richmond and the superintendent of the schools are on the same page and supporting each other, and they clearly are. I mean, they, they uh, presented this uh, collectively and were very complimentary of each other in, in this work and what it potentially could mean. So I'm offering that as another resurrection story. We'll see how it goes forward, but I ask for your prayers. We'll be praying in a few minutes. And I told them, I'm going to go pray about it, I'm going to preach about it, and I'm going to call one of those council people who I know. So I'll do that later tonight. The other story that I wanted to relay with you, relay to you, happened last Friday on Good Friday. I was invited by Nikki Fernandez, Fernandez a Richmond Hill regular to, who teaches at VCU, to accompany her and some others of her students on the slave trail walk down in Shaco Bottom. And we started over at Libby Hill so they could see and hear sort of the overview of the story. And then we made our way to Manchester Docks on the other side and they walked the trail. And then we finally ended up in Shaco Bottom at Lumpkins Jail in the African Ancestral Burial Ground. None of these students had ever even been to Church Hill, let alone on this walk. 
And it was amazing to see their eyes open wide as the story was told and to hear their questions and to recognize that this was having a big impact upon them. When we were at the ancestral burial ground, I was drawn to a tree of all things. And this is a tree that seems to be as old as the graveyard itself, and it's nearly split in two. If you've been down there, I'm sure you cannot miss. There are two trees on either side of this makeshift monument that look like they've been there since the day. And I walked over the tree and I touched it, and the bark disintegrated in my hand. And I looked out on the limbs, and there were leaves sprouting everywhere. And I went to Nikki and I said, did you see that tree? It, it's got to be dead, but it's not. There is life growing forth from its branches. And I told a couple of the young people, because they were drawn to it as well. As we were wrapping things up, Nikki opened her phone and she read from the words of Maya Angelou, this excerpt from her poem, Here I Rise. Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I'm a black ocean, leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear on the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak that's wondrously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the dream and the hope of a slave. I rise. I rise, I rise. Our lives may be the greatest testimony to the resurrection truth and to the reality of God's love in this world. Our willingness to respond in hopeful ways, even in the face of so much death and despair in the world today, in the face of so much falsehood and denial, so much blame, in animosity. Just think again about the recent suicide bombings in Sri Lanka and that devastation. And yet we are asked to hear again those words, do not be afraid. He is not here. He is risen. We are to be the resurrection ourselves, the resurrection people, you and me. We're the ones who have been to the tomb. We have seen the stone rolled away, and we know it's empty. It's our responsibility to tell that truth. If we have to use words, great, so be it. But let us do it with our lives. For He is not there. He is here. He is there. He is everywhere. In the face of so much that denies and seeks to tell a different story, we must tell the truth. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed.